As Woody mentioned already, Brother Matt's gone for a little bit of rest and relaxation. And uh, as you know also, occasionally he says something about the fact that I sit up there normally and that I sit, I send him a text, you know, after church starts. Well, today, he didn't wait till church started. He sent me a text before I got up, <laughs> reminding me where I was and how I needed to act. <laughs> anyway, two, two reasons I think that occasionally he asked somebody, and two reasons he asked me today to, to preach is because uh, he wants to, you to be reminded of how grateful you need to be when he comes back. <laughs> and also, because I work cheap. <laughs> so, anyway, enough of that. My, my wife's already slid under the seat. So. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. There's an innocent-sounding sentence in that Sermon on the Mount spoken by Jesus that contains enough dynamite, I think, to change the course of the world. In it, Christ has presented one of the foundation principles of abundant living. And what a pity, what a pity that sometimes we've gone by on the other side and left that mighty truth alone. It reads, Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now let's pray a minute. Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for what we've felt and heard and seen already in this worship time. Thank you for leading us and speaking to us through these things that have happened, these songs and these words that have been spoken. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take, take a few minutes and to listen to you as you continue to speak through this passage. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, that we would not miss, that we would not miss the principle that's here for us from you today. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, I read of a Sunday school teacher who had assigned this passage for memory work one Sunday. And when the class attended, when the class uh, assembled the next Sunday, being a very understanding and considerate teacher, she repeated the verse to re refresh their memories. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And then she waited for just a minute, and she said, now is there anybody in here who can remember, who knows the memory verse? So up went a hand immediately. Okay, what is it? And the little boy answered. Whosoever shall compel thee to go with him a mile, go with him by train. <laughs> now, he may not have had it exactly right, but you know something? It may be a long journey. It may indeed be a long journey. The background, the setting of this is important. When the Roman Empire had conquered a new province or a new town, a Roman yoke was put up in the marketplace or in the principal gate of the city. Sometimes they made everybody pass under it. Sometimes, sometimes it was just the leaders, but, but however, whoever, signifying and promising that to the Roman Empire, they would give their obedience, they would give their tribute, many other things. 
One of the other things found is in the small type was this. Whenever a Roman soldier or a Roman official wanted you to carry his pack for him for a mile or run an errand for him for a mile or guide him for a mile, it was a must. You didn't have a choice. This was a most humiliating and, and chafing experience because, as Moses said, these were a stiff-necked people, a proud people. And I've read that the Roman Empire stipulated that except in an emergency, no one would be required to go further than a mile. And I've also read that every Jewish boy who lived in the country had marked off from his house a mile this way and a mile this way and had driven a peg down so that he would not go any further than one mile. Now, with this in mind, look at this group of people standing around Jesus that day. And I can imagine that no one thing Jesus ever said as he walked the streets of Jerusalem or the, the roads of Galilee upset an audience like this one sentence. They're listening intently. They're looking at one another and they're, they're marveling at the way this teacher pronounces the great truths. And then suddenly, suddenly into their midst, he drops this bombshell. Whosoever shall go, compels thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And I can see them as they, as they clench their fists until their, their nails dig down into their palms. And they shake their heads and they look at Jesus in astonishment. Does he mean to say that he approves of the Roman Empire? And that, that he, this, he's teaching that we should obey what they're, what they're, that, that we're made to go uh, even a mile and go further? What in the world's wrong with this man? Nothing Christ ever said shocked them so. I think Jesus deliberately made this obnoxious Roman rule a carrier for this great principle of life so that we would never overlook it and that we wouldn't miss the truth, the principle that's there for us. It would be tragic for us to miss the, the message of this verse of Scripture. Tragic for our individual lives, tragic for our businesses, tragic for homes, tragic for, for professions to overlook the truth in the teaching of Christ here. Now, what does it mean? Certainly not literally to go another mile or to carry a pack for another mile. But it does mean, it does mean that we're to do just a little bit more than we're required to do. A little bit more than we're reasonably expected to do. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about happiness. He was talking about the abundant life. The whole sermon was about this. And my friend, we cannot live the abundant life without practicing this second mile policy principle. Four observations that I want to make quickly. Matt usually has three, but I have four this morning. He told me to be quick, so I'm going to be quick. <laughs> but th these four are worthy of our attention. First one, the, the second mile leaves a deposit of happiness in the heart of the one who travels it. Let me illustrate. <clears throat> a famous physician did surgical procedures in an amphitheater in New York City many times so that surgeons from all over the world could come and watch as he performed these surgeries. They'd sit in the balcony and they'd watch, look down onto the floor operating table where he was working. And one day when he had finished an operation, taking off his mask, the other doctors were leaving. One young man dropped down from the balcony and to the operating floor and very hesitatingly approached this great surgeon and he said, sir, I'd like to ask you a question. Certainly, son, what is it? 
Doctor, doesn't medical science say, and do not the books teach, that one knot tied correctly in the thread after the surgical procedure is finished, is, if it's tied correctly, that's all that's necessary? A smile broke out over the countenance of this great surgeon, put his arm around that young doctor, and he said, son, medical science, medical books say exactly that. Medical science teaches that. And I know, I know now what your question is going to be. You're going to ask me why I tied three knots in, in that thread after I'd finished the surgery instead of one, aren't you? Smiling, he said, yes, sir. Why three? He said, son, let me tell you a secret since everybody's gone. That third knot is my sleeping knot. Because you see, I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night and I'm gonna think about this procedure and I'm gonna run through it from, from beginning to end. And when I get to the end, I'm gonna wonder, did I tie that thread tight enough so that that wound cannot possibly come open? And I'm gonna remember that I didn't just tie one knot, I didn't just tie two. I tied three knots. And he said, it can't possibly come loose. So I'm going to smile, and I'm going to turn over. I'm going to snuggle down in my pillow, and I'm going to go back to sleep. That's my sleeping knot, son. And see, he said, let me tell you something else, a great principle of life. He said, I'm not being original, but if you'll always tie three knots when you're required to tie only one, you'll find a lot of happiness that you can't possibly find any other way. If we'll go just a little bit further, do just a little bit more, we'll make a deposit of happiness in our own life. Secondly, the second mile calls for the best in others. You can't possibly, you can't possibly go the second mile without influencing others and starting them to travel down that road. A pastor tells about the first time he ever saw it. He said, I'd gone to work as a night secretary in a railroad YMCA many years ago. And a new general secretary had taken over. And he came in and wanted to change everything. He said, one of the things that he asked me to do was to keep the books, to post the books. And he said, I never did like keeping books. And I resented that he gave me this, this extra work to do. And he said, every single page of those books reflected how I resented and how I hated what I was doing. It was written all over them. He said, then one day something happened. And he said, I asked the new secretary, Mr. Goodwin, if I could go hunting with my friends. He thought for a moment. He said, sure, it'll be fine. One of us will have to work for you, but that'll be okay. In fact, I'll just work for you myself. You go on and, and have a good time. Went, went hunting that day, that night, the next day. Came in just in time for his evening shift that second day. And he said, son, I know you're tired. You've walked a lot of miles. You've, you've been, you, you haven't slept much, I'm sure. He said, he said yes, sir, but I'm, I'm okay. I can, I can do it. He said, you know something, son, I worked for you last night and I, I, I've slept all day and so I'm not tired at all. So you go on, you go on upstairs and rest a while and after a while I'll come get you. He said he didn't have to tell me that second time I, I was gone upstairs. And he said when I woke next, it was daylight. And I wondered what in the world's happened? 
had I gone to sleep on duty? And he said, I hurried downstairs to the desk and Mr. Goodwin had gone home. But the office, the day office secretary handed me a note that he'd left and he said, I'll never forget. I'll never forget that note. He said, dear Joe, came up to check on you, but you were sleeping so soundly that I didn't have the heart to wake you. He said, I didn't mind working for you at all. It wasn't a hardship. Don't feel badly about it. You go on home, you get some breakfast, and you come back at noon and work for me the rest of the day. And then you can take your shift in the evening, and we'll be even. I really enjoyed working for you, son. And he said, he said son, you may not know it, but I love you. And he signed his name. He said, I sat down, and I read that note, and I read it over and over. And then he said, I got on my knees, and I asked God to forgive me. Forgive me for the way that I'd treated a good man. I asked him to forgive me for the way that I'd done my job, that I'd kept those books so sloppily. And he said, now, if you want to see the neatest books, the world, the, the books in all the world, you go to that YMCA, and you'll find them there. He said, the second mile, the second mile that Jesus talked about was written all over them. He said, that's the first time that I ever met it. First time I ever saw it, but he said, I'll be indebted for a lifetime to the man who lived that second mile for me that first time. My friend, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, go with him twain. And remember, remember that when you walk that mile, you start somebody else down that same beautiful road. How much, how much greater can we, can we fulfill that command that Jesus made to us to love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves? The third, the second, the thirdly, the second mile lightens life's burdens. I'm convinced that the second mile is one of the greatest principles that Jesus ever gave for happiness in the home. Now, I honestly believe that if one person in a home would practice this second mile that Jesus is talking about, that he alone or she alone could transform a home. And how many homes would be different today if people practiced that second mile, doing just a little bit more than is expected, a few nicer things than anybody had a right to ask them to do, I don't know if you have any trouble with that, but sometimes I do. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This husband is ready to go to work, hurrying in the morning to get off from the house to go to work, and his wife's washing the breakfast dishes. He finds that he has a button off his coat. He comes to the kitchen door and he says, Honey, I've got this button off. Can you stop and sew it on for me? Of course she's going to stop and sew it on, but she stops and stands there still for just a minute. And she says, you know, your buttons can get off at the most inopportune times. Why didn't you tell me last night it was off? But she dries her hands, and she sews it on. Fusses a little bit as she does. But then she finishes it and throws his coat on the table, there it is, but next time, you tell me, you tell me when it gets loose. And she goes on back to her dishwashing. Later on in the week, 
she find, the wife says to her husband, you know, I've had a little bit of extra expense this week and my budget's running short. I'm going to need about ten more dollars to make it to the end of the week. And he turns around with a glare in his eyes. What in the world do you do with all your money anyway? Now let's see, let's see what the second mile might do for that situation. Honey, I got this button off. Can you sew it on for me? With a smile, she dries her hands and she hurries to the sewing room to get a needle and thread. You know, sweetheart, I just love sewing buttons on for you. <laughs> I'll have it on for you in just a minute. And when she's finished, she holds his coat while he puts it on. And his, her hands go around his neck and, and she gives him a little hug and he goes to work thinking, you know, with, in, in his heart that this is the greatest woman in the world that ever lived, and she is. At the end of the week, honey, I've had a little extra expense and my budget's about $10 short. Out comes his wallet quick as a flash. I don't see how in the world you, you, you make your money stretch as far as you do. Here's $20 instead of 10. Now we may, we may laugh about that a little bit, but the difference, the difference it would make in the atmosphere in our homes, if the people in them would do a little bit more than ex was expected of them, were just a little bit nicer, just a little bit kinder, just a little sweeter than anybody had a right to expect them to be. Our children would grow up in an atmosphere of, of joy and, and goodwill. What a difference it would make in their lives and how they approach the world when they go off to, to face it. The second mile is just crammed full of blessedness for us if we'll practice it. Finally, God went to second mile. God went to second mile. Jesus never gave us a commandment that he did not live himself. The greatest second mile ever presented was Jesus himself. God created a beautiful world, filled it full of conveniences, which would add to our happiness. Gave us a guidebook and, and thousands of things to remind us of himself and, and of his goodness. And despite all of this, man turned away from God. And then God went the second mile, sent us Jesus, and he told John, he said, write it down, John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the day came, the day came when Jesus was hung on that cross on Golgotha. They had driven the nails in his hands and they had ripped his side open and they had left him there to die in agony. And in the midst of it all, he lifted his face quietly to his heavenly father. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second mile, the second mile of Jesus. My friend, if we'll take a close look at God's second mile, it'll change our life. It'll change our home. It'll change our church. It'll change our world. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him, Twain. Keep on going. Go as far as is needed to do what God wants you to do 
and what others need you to do. Now, where are we today on our spiritual journey? Where are we today on our train ride, if you will? First of all, we have to have a ticket, don't we? If we're going to take a train ride, we have to have a ticket. And there's nothing we can do to earn that. But Jesus took care of it, didn't he? Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. He's paid for our ticket. It's there, ready, waiting for us. All we have to do is believe that he died on that cross and that we, we're sinners. And if we ask him to, he'll forgive us our sins. He'll come into our heart and he'll come into our life. And he'll give us that ticket, that free ticket. And then, and then is that it? No. We have, we have to have some things to take with us on the trip, don't we? Some take more than others when they go on trips, but we have to have some things on our spiritual journey. We have to have some things to take with us. Where do we get those? Right here's a good place to start, isn't it? In church, in Sunday school, in, in singing. In WMU, in all the, the activities of the church, we're packing our bags. We're getting ready for a trip. And then, then you say, well, is that it? Nope, not it. That's not all. We have to be willing to get out of the station and get on board. Get on board. We can sit in the, sit in the station over there at Anniston and watch those trains go by and Know that people are going to New York or New Orleans or wherever. Know they're going to have a good time. Everything's going to be beautiful and wonderful for them. And we can sit in the station and watch people go by on their spiritual journey and see how happy they are and what all the things they're doing. And yet we're not getting involved. We're not getting involved. We're not getting on people, get on board. You know something? People are waiting, waiting for you, for me to get on board. They're waiting and they're watching and they need us. They need us to get on board, to get on board. Lydia's just talked about some things that, that she's doing that she could use us to help, help with. And, and, and Woody's got some things you could help with. We sang earlier, I love thee. Jesus, my Jesus, I love thee. Well, the question is, how much do we love him? How much do we love him? Are we willing? Most of us have, have a ticket. Most of us have packed our bags, many for years. But some of us, some of us have not gotten out of the station. We're just sitting, soaking, and that's it. God needs us. Other people need us to get on board, to get out of the station and get busy. Where are you today? Where are you? on your spiritual journey. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. We have just to think together for a few minutes from, from your word. And Father, now we come to this time when we, we can commit. We have an opportunity to commit, if need be, to, to come and receive that ticket that you've, you've earned for us already by dying. To come and say, I've not really been packing my bags. I've not been participating like I should have in the church. But I want to get more involved in the church. And then to come to, to say, I want to get busy. I want to get out of the station. I want to get on board. I want to be helping others. 
I want to be going that second mile and loving others as Jesus commanded us to. Lord, I don't know where anybody is in this room spiritually, but you do. And Father, today as you impress us to help us to respond to the good news of Jesus. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Brother Woody's going to be here at the front. If there's something you need to share with him, maybe you need to tell Woody, hey, I'm Woody, I'm ready to go to work. You can count on me. Now plug me in somewhere. Plug me in. I don't know what you need to do, but, but this is the time for you to do that if you need to and want to.